What's up, guys? Welcome to the sesh. Today, I have a very special guest. Jen, please introduce yourself. Hi, everyone. My name is Jennifer Sanchez. I am currently going through breast cancer. Uh, today, I'm here to talk about my journey and life living with breast cancer. So what I want to talk about is the ins and outs of it. So nobody ever prepares you for this stuff. I'm no. sure you went through so many difficult times, not only you, your family and your loved ones. And so I kind of want to touch on that mm -hmm. and what you can prepare people for. Right. Um, so it started with a small, small ball in my right breast. Um, I felt it. And I thought, you know what? I have an upcoming appointment. My doctor, it's a, my annual pap smear. How old were you? I was 35, okay. 35. So when I went in, you know, they usually, they'll do your check, their, your check and they'll check the breast. You know, they know specific, I feel like they know specifically how to feel, what to look for. So I knew what I felt and I said, and I remember calling my dad and telling him, dad, I feel something you know, I'm going to leave it to the doctor to, to notice it. Probably the worst mistake I could have made. I went in, had my check. She didn't feel anything. So I left and I thought, okay, well, she didn't feel anything. She's a doctor. She knew she was moving her hands around. She didn't feel it. So I let it go. A year passes. I feel it still. And it's larger than what it was um, I went to the doctor again, and this time I remember, this was for my annual exam, and I remember laying on the bed and saying, if she doesn't notice it, do I say something or do I stay quiet? You know, but I knew that the size was larger. So that was, you know, that in itself was already kind of alarming. Um, she did her check and she didn't notice anything. She took off her gloves and she was done. She's like, okay, is there anything that I need to help you with? Is there anything else? And I'm thinking I could walk out of here and just be fine. You know, like I, I'm fine. The doctor didn't say anything. I can just leave. But I knew there was something that was telling me you need to speak up. Like you need to say something. And I did. And I said, doctor, I feel something. And when I said that, she's like, okay, what do you feel? And I said, well, I don't know. It's kind of like a lump. Uh, in the right breast, which was crazy to me because it was so large. Like, how did you not feel Yeah, how it? did you miss that? Yes. So she puts her gloves on. She's like, okay, what area do you feel it in? And she felt that area. And she says, okay, let me send you for an ultrasound. And I remember walking out of there thinking, oh my God. Okay, she felt it. You know, she felt it. This is good or bad. You know, I spoke up. That's great. But could this lead to something else? So I uh, quickly, I think it was like a week later, I went in for <clears throat> an ultrasound uh, at, should I say that? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Absolutely. At Mission Hospital. Yeah. And um, I did the ultrasound there. It was maybe about 20 minutes. Like it was pretty quick. Um, that was the first time I had ever had an ultrasound on my breast. So I was very emotional. I remember walking out. My mom was in the waiting room and I was just crying. Um, because when you get an ultrasound, you can hear all the beeps, the beeps, you know, and you're thinking, oh my gosh, why is it beeping so much? Um, I left and about a few days later, uh, I got a call from my gynecologist and she said, okay, um, they noticed a little mass. She goes, but it's probably not cancer because you don't have cancer in your family. You know, that doesn't run in your family. So it's probably nothing. It's probably benign, so forth. 
So I told my mom and immediately they all suggested, no, no, no. Like we're going to Houston. Mm -hmm. Like we're not going to mess around here. I went to Houston um, and I had my first ultrasound there. So the ultrasound that I had in mission was 20 minutes. The one that I had in Houston at MD Anderson was about an hour and 20 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Completely Talk different. about thorough. Yeah. Thoroughly checking like the whole area. They went all the way up to my neck. Um, they went uh, around my underarms, whereas mission was just solely focused here. So <clears throat> we had that appointment. Um, they did notice they that there was a mass. And I want to say I got my results. Not that it was confirmed that I had breast cancer, but that they told me, okay, we do see the mass. Like the results for that, like we do notice something. Now we're going to like send it in, you know, so that they could confirm whether it was cancerous or not. Um, they noticed, I believe it was one large mass in my right breast. And then there were lymph nodes that were also like coming out as something like as a, I don't know, not good, mm -hmm. you know, um, <clears throat> but they still needed to take them in. They did a biopsy that when I was doing the ultrasound, uh, they came back and they were, they said, we need to biopsy certain areas. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh. So I'm laying there in the bed, just Elias was outside, my fiance, he was outside in the waiting room and did he know at this time? He had no idea. He just knew that I was going for the ultrasound. Wow. So he's there. And I want to say we could have been the last ones there in the hospital um, because it took such a long time. So the ultrasound itself was like an hour, almost an hour and a half. And then they did the biopsy and they biopsied to different areas. And I remember feeling in that moment just so alone, like scared, alone, not knowing because again, like I've never, besides having a C-section with my daughter mm -hmm. once, never had to be in hospital or rarely go to the doctor's office. So this was such a big deal. So then they, they really hurried it up, oh, hurried yeah. the whole process up. Yeah. Like wow. they don't waste any time, any time. You know, so shortly after that, that's when we went um, back to the waiting room. Elias was able to come in for that. Um, we sat there. They were going to send... The, what was that conversation like? Oh, man. Um, you know, it was one of those where they don't beat around the bush. So they're pretty much telling me, yes, it is something that's, it looks like it could be cancer. We need to confirm the size of it, the fact that it's something in your lymph nodes. Once it's in your lymph nodes, like, that's never good. Mm -hmm. So at that point, we're already like, okay. Like now we're starting to like prepare for what's gonna happen. And what was going on in your life during that time? Um, oh my gosh. Like I, I felt like at that time I was just living life, enjoying life. You know, it's Elias and our two girls and everything is I mean, I'm a teacher. So, you know, I go to work, get out of work, tend to Gianna, Ella, you know, and everything just seems so normal. It was beautiful. Honestly, it was such a beautiful life at that time because I had no worries. You know, we could eat what we wanted. I could eat what I wanted. I could have a drink if I wanted. And now 
that's just everything's so different now. Life has completely changed. And not so much, you know, I, I can't say like it's changed in a negative way because a lot of it is good. It's good that I've had to change certain things about the way I eat, you know, limiting the amount of alcohol consumption, which I wasn't a big drinker then, but now I've completely had to eliminate it. You know, so little things like that that I've had to change. Um, and what about the conversation with like Elias? Like how, how did that go? And with your family, like yeah. I can only imagine, like so I, I, I can't imagine. Elias and I, so this happened, I, it, was, it was like two years in to our relationship when we found out that I had ended up having cancer. So I got the results, my goodness, um, it was in March. So I went for my, when I had the ultrasound in Houston, it was in February, I believe. February 2022, March 23rd, it's coming up, is when I got the phone call. I remember I had gotten out of work. I was at home with the two girls and I got a phone call and I remember they were playing outside and I just saw MD Anderson on my phone and I thought, oh my gosh, this is it. Like, okay. And I answered the phone and it was the, the doctor and she said, Ms. Sanchez, we got your results. You have invasive ductal carcinoma you have stage three breast cancer and what was going through your head at the time oh my gosh you know because we had the girl I had the girls outside with me I had to compose myself as much as I wanted to scream and cry and oh my gosh like everything was kind of hitting me anger sadness anxiousness everything um I had two little girls that were outside. And I kept telling them like, shh, quiet guys. Like I need to take this call. And <clears throat> excuse me, I'm going to lose my voice. <clears throat> um, I, uh, I, I was calm. I took the conversation and I told them, okay, what do I need to do next? And um, so they were like, okay, well, you need to come in. We need to set up an appointment. We need to set up a treatment plan, do some more exams, so forth. Um, I, as soon as that phone call ended, I felt like what was, what else was there for me to do? Like I needed to, okay, now what? Let me call, let me call Elias. Let me let him know. Let me call my parents, let them know. Um, when I called him, he was at work. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm heading home right now. Um, that was just quick. I just told him I got the results. I have breast cancer and he's like, okay, it's okay. Let me, let me finish this and I'm going to be home. Um, I called my parents and once Elias got home, I think I stayed outside. He had the girls inside. I stayed outside and I just cried. I just sat there and cried. And, you know, in that moment, you have the why me, which is not what you're supposed to think, but you're human. Yeah. And how can you not think why me? Why is this happening? I'm such a good person. I think I'm a good person. You know, why would this happen to me? Um, and you have that, those thoughts, but then, you know, okay, they just kind of go away because really you don't wish this upon anybody. Right. Nobody should have to go through this, you know? So I took it, um, with Elias. I, I remember telling him, you don't have to be with me. Like, you know, this is going to be a lot. And I feel bad having to put somebody through this with me. Like, this is going to be 
this was forever changing my life. And what know? was that conversation like? Because that's that's a very that's a very difficult conversation mm-hmm. to have, and especially for you to say that to somebody, it, it's it's very uh, it's deep. Yeah. So how, he, um, how how was that? So Elias is a few years younger than me, and we joke about that. He's like, "You're older than me, and I'm younger, and this and that." Well, I'm like, "Whatever." <laughs> so, but even then, with that said, I was kind of like, "You know what? You are like, you know, you're young. You could still like move on, find somebody else." And I told him, "Like, I love you." Had you already just given up on life? Like, you assumed that that the worst was going to happen? Um, I wouldn't say that I because. You know what? No, I'll say I did not give up on life in that moment because of my daughter. So with that, I felt like I have to do whatever. Like, let's get the ball rolling. Whatever I need to do, my daughter needs me. She needs her mother. So with Elias, he was kind of like, you know, everything's going to be okay. We're two years into our relationship at this point. Like, so everything's still fresh. And then you're going to get hit with cancer. You know, so I was kind of like, it's okay. You know, I get it. I love you. I care about you. But I'd be okay too if you wanted to leave. Like, I don't want to put somebody through this that can go live their life with someone else that doesn't have breast cancer, you know? And his immediate response was, no, like, that's never been a thought to leave. It's never been an option. We're going to walk through this together. That's and, awesome. That's good to hear. Yeah. And so we have, and, and it's come up, I'm, I'm sure I brought it up a few other times, like, you can't, and he'll kind of, and I get it, he gets frustrated, and he's like, stop, like, stop, because that's not, like, it's not a thought for me. Yeah. And I think with different parts of this journey that, you know, with losing my hair and looking at myself, you know, I'm like, you don't have to. Like, I know, this isn't like, this isn't how... So you want to see your girlfriend at that time, you know, like, and well, you have, you have the worst thoughts about yourself because you live with yourself 24, seven, 365 days a year. So Mm -hmm. it's it's a very interesting thing. Yeah. And you know what? I, he's been honestly throughout this, he's been my rock because I don't know. He's been just helpful with my daughter, you know, and then, you know, he has his daughter and trying to communicate with my family and let them know. Because a lot of the time, so once I um, got the news that I had breast cancer, we went back to Houston. We did all the the tests that needed to be done. I spoke to my medical oncologist in Houston. Um, she set up a treatment plan. So the treatment plan was 16 rounds of chemo, um, surgery, radiation, and then the hormone therapy. When, when they told you that, what was going through your head? This is, this is going to change my life. Like, this is going to change my life. Am I going to make it through all this? Like, and I remember asking her about, like, what, you know, how, tell me about the stage. And she didn't really give me an answer. She kind of just said, you're between a two, stage two and three. She's like, but it doesn't even matter. Like, it doesn't matter. Don't focus on that. Because in my head, when you think of, oh, you're stage four or you're stage three, oh, you're kind of up there. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not good. So she was just kind of like, don't even, like, don't think about that. It's just, you're at a stage three. You have a curable and treatable cancer. So that was great. 
Like as soon as she said that, I'm like, oh my God. Like, there's, there's light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, there's hope. Like I'm, it's going to be okay, you know? Um, so we immediately, I said, okay. Like the thing with the chemo, so the first part of it was chemo and that was going to be every week, right? Um, what was it? 12 rounds were going to be every week, every Friday. And then there was going to be a stronger medication, which is the AC, also known as the Red Devil, is what they call it. I'm like, can you all find like a different <laughs> a name thing. for this? Um, and they're like, because it's red. I, I, I don't know what it is. It's just this red fluid uh, medicine. Um, and that one, you'll get it every other week. So, so run us through the first round. Mm-hmm. Like, how, how was that? What was that experience? And Right. I was terrified, first of all. So um, when I spoke to the medical oncologist in Houston, I asked her, because this is going to be every week, is it possible to get this medicine that you're going to use in McAllen? Remember, I'm like clueless to all of this. So she's like, yeah, that's fine. You know, go to. So I ended up going to Texas Oncology in McAllen. Uh, they were wonderful, amazing. Dr. Restrepo, he's uh, just a great oncologist there. Um, he pretty much followed the same orders that my oncologist in Houston was going to give me. So that gave me like, a, I, was, I was good with that, knowing, okay, I'm going to be treated the same way I was going to be treated in Houston. Everything's going to stay the same. I had my first round um, of Taxol. So I first was super nervous, obviously. Like, oh my gosh, like I'm about to get, I had a week before, I think it was a week before my first chemo session, um, they put a port right here on my left side. That's why you can kind of notice there's like a little scar there. It's kind of sunken in. Um, They put a port inside. It was an in and out procedure at regional. Um, And that's where they were going to put the IV to put the medicine in for the taxol. Um, I got the taxol and it seemed like, I think afterwards I was like, okay, like we can go eat. I felt fine. One of the things with the taxol and, and with any chemo was slow drip. So when they're putting, when they're setting you up, I think there's like a little bit like a faster drip and a slow drip. They try to start you off with a slow drip to monitor for any complications. Okay. Um, I made sure throughout my chemo journey, I was like, I want slow drip every single time because I do not want any complications. You know, and the reason, if you get a slow drip, obviously you're going to be there longer. The drip's going down very slow. Um, funny thing is, is that Elias would tell me, he's like, Jen, you know that there's other people in the waiting room <laughs> waiting to be seen for chemo and you're over here with your slow drip here for like two hours. Um, but I was like, I'm sorry, but I don't want like, I, I don't want to take a chance of yeah. them going faster and something happening and I'm going to get a reaction. I said, no, like it's just going to be this way and that's it. And thanks to God, I had no complications with chemo, I, as soon as they put the first, the prick, the needle into the port um, to start the chemo, I remember getting super emotional. I remember um, not crying, but tears were just rolling down my eyes because I knew this is it, like this is happening. You're going into it. Yeah, I held a, a rosary in my hand. I always had my eyes closed during 
that process. I'm just not good with needles. So like, I'll always tell them, just don't show me anything. Do what you have to do. Just don't show me. And so I'd close my eyes. I was holding a rosary and praying and I could just feel the tears. Um, Elias was with me for my first treatment and he was just holding my hand and he's like, it's gonna be okay. You're gonna be okay. Um, I was done. I called my family. I said, we're good. You know, I got this. Like, we're gonna be good. If I can do this, the rest of these treatments are gonna be fine. Um, and was that the case? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Uh, I'm telling you, like, I would leave chemo in the beginning. Um, I would always have somebody there with me. I want to say like there was maybe a treatment or two that I was able to drive. Like I was like, okay, I can drive myself afterwards. Like I don't need anybody to take me there. I think I would have somebody drive me and, and take me back home because we were nervous. Like how was I going to right. feel afterwards? And then it got to a point where I was like, I can drive. And I think I'd even go to the mall. Right after chemo, I remember going to buy makeup and I told him, I just got out of chemo, but I need to buy this or something. <laughs> and they were thinking, you were looking like, for a sense of normalcy. Yeah, absolutely. So that was, um, I did 14 rounds, 14, no, it was 12 rounds of Taxol. And then that's when you transition to the stronger chemo. This is the chemo where you do hear about the scary stuff, you know, the people with massive headaches, the vomiting, the, you know, not being able to sleep, the pain that your body, that it takes on your body. So as I'm getting closer to that, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how am I going to do this? This one is, that's, this is going to scare me. Um, I want to say when I started that medicine, the AC, that's the time that like my hair was completely gone. Eyebrows, eyelashes, um, so during the 12 weeks is when your hair started falling off. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I would say maybe, um, three, four, maybe about the fourth round, um, is when we went to, um, my hairstylist Katia and I talked to her and she's like, if whenever you're ready, you let me know. And I said, I'm ready. And she shaved my head. What was what was that experience like? Because I, I know that for a woman, mm -hmm. hair is is yeah, it's, it's it's your identity. Absolutely, and that's one thing, Josh, that I feel like people will say it's just hair, mm -hmm. like it's just hair. And I'm thinking, have you like gone through this? Like because it's not just hair, like, and it, it's exactly what you said. It makes you in a way. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's part of your appearance. Right. You know, I was used to having long hair to having no hair and looking at myself in the mirror and trying, like, you have to find what, what it What were in those you. thoughts when you look at yourself in the mirror? Um, you feel I felt. I felt less of a woman. Um, and that was very hard, you know, because you look at yourself and you're, you don't have hair, you don't have eyebrows, you don't have eyelashes, you don't have anything. And you can put, and I couldn't find it in me too. I bought wigs, I never wore the wigs. Um, I ended up just wearing scarves uh, because I remember Elias telling me we were gonna go meet with his family and he said, why are you gonna put on a wig? They already know you don't have hair. And I was like, well, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> I said, okay. So I wore the scarf and 
And that was kind of just my thing is just wearing different scarves. Um, even now that I do have hair, it's still hard to try to like feel very feminine, you know, because my hair is shorter, you know, and I'm, well, I'm not used to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not used to this new me yet. You know, I try and I'm trying to embrace it every day. I try to embrace it and be positive because I am very thankful to have hair, but it's also, it's, it's hard getting used to the new you, Yeah, you know? Um, and there's, there were plenty of times that I would just stand in front of the mirror and just cry because I felt, uh, I don't want to say ugly, but I felt less attractive, you know? And yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. I I don't think everybody, nobody ever gets to talk about that stuff. It's like Mm -hmm. you, you see it online and somebody posts about it, but nobody ever talks about like what they look at in the mirror, that, Mm -hmm. that conversation that goes through your head. You feel like people look at you and one, you look sick. People feel sorry for you. You just don't look attractive anymore. And that's like, you look, just the fact that you look sick and people automatically associate you as, oh, you have cancer, you know? And it's like, yes, I do, but I'm still Jennifer. So what, what is that conversation like that, that, because like for me, when I see something like that, I I don't, it's not that I don't feel bad. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I get it. Like, I understand that you're going through a hard time so for me to not feel something is like it's inhuman of me Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i'm interested like how you perceive that because obviously from the outside we're coming in it's like okay we'll feel bad for you Mm -hmm. sorry for you yeah i don't want that's like one of the things is don't feel bad for me because then i feel even worse okay you know like and it's like i'm not a victim either you know, I'm still, I'm still alive. So how should people react to that then? What, what is the proper way for someone that has cancer has gone through it? What is the proper way that somebody can address that? Um, and I, I'm, I'm assuming it's different for everybody too. I feel like just, I, I would prefer that people just continue to treat me the same. Okay. Just because I have cancer, that doesn't, what, it changes the way I maybe eat. You know, like, aside from that, that's it. it. Like, I'm still, and I still do. Like, I tell Elias, like, let's go somewhere. Like, let's go out. I still want to be. I think the the thoughts that go through people's heads is that that the person is very fragile Mm -hmm. now. So they're they're trying to, like, you know, I don't want to be able to contribute to something that might happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's what's going through a lot of people's heads. We have, uh, granted, like, we have limitations, you know, like there are, there are limitations like to things like I can't now, right now, I can't carry things that are heavy. I just can't. They're not supposed to put weight. When I carry a purse, I'm used to always carrying it on the right side. But because that's where I had my surgery, I'm not supposed to. I need to carry it on the left now. You know, things, a little, little things like that. Um, but I feel like aside from that, I try and I'm, I think I'm very conscious about that is I try to do as much as everybody else does. Mm-hmm. Is I don't want to feel like I can't do something because I have cancer. 
you know, so in like, let's say working out, going to the gym, like that stuff that I used to do before cancer, going to yoga as I think I was still doing it throughout chemo. I would have to modify certain things, you know, going to yoga and going to the gym, but I still made it a point to continue. I didn't want to stop because I have cancer. My body's frail or just, uh, what I've learned is I need to be gentle with my body. Okay. That's it. Just be gentle with it. You know, yes, there's certain things that I can't lift or carry, but I can carry other things. Like there's other stuff that I can carry that aren't as heavy. Right. Um, I can still, you know, sometimes we want to go out and do something. I can still do that. I won't drink, but I can still go have fun. You know, I can still be around people, have fun, talk to people. That doesn't change. I don't want to get stuck at home. And like, that's it. My life just stops. Yeah. Cause because I think I when you stop moving is when you start going yeah. down your health. So everything starts to go down. It's, it's a, it's a very interesting thing is like, I found that now when I got into my forties, mm-hmm. like I literally have to fight for my life every yeah. single day and it sucks, but that's just the way it is. Yeah. Can you kind of shine light on that? That it's, so I'm 38, 38, I'll be 39. It's crazy because once you get to like your 30s, you're, yes, you're like, <laughs> wait a minute, how old am I again? Um, but yeah, I, I feel the same way. And I feel like, especially with cancer, life is so precious. Like it's so precious. And I have to do whatever it takes to continue living. So if it means altering my eating patterns, okay, like then I need to do that. If I need to eat better, if I need to stay away from alcohol, if these are the things that I need to stay away from um, so that I can live a few more years, you know, then I'm going to do it. Yeah. Um, and I feel exactly the same as you in that sense that, you know, we have kids too. Like we have a lot to live for. And going to the gym, I want to say... Um, now like right now um with radiation that kind of like took a toll on my body like that did um but i've made it a point and i've told elias like i need to get to the gym i need to make sure to stay to stay active with this new hormone therapy that i'm on now um it affects your bones your joints and i'm thinking oh no you know and people say it's the pain that you feel can be like excruciating bone and joint pain and I'm thinking no like no I'm 38 like that that can't be happening like I need to make sure that I stay active that I'm working out that I'm eating the right foods to feed my bones and joints you know so that that doesn't stop me from I mean I'm 38 like from getting to my 40s from being active with my daughter you know um well, I always, I always talk about um, taking care of yourself. I've only been doing this for a year, and mm-hmm. I got super lucky. But, you know, as soon as you find something that works really good for somebody, it's like you want to share it with everybody. Right. And a lot of times it comes off as preachy. But the thing is, like, I, I found that I got lucky, and there's a lot of people that aren't lucky. So they're, they're suffering through heart attacks. They have diabetes. They live a... a the quality of their life is not as good as it should be. Mm-hmm. And it's through diet and exercise that you need to do the tedious crap that nobody wants to do. The stuff every single day that gets you to those points, that gets you to live a little bit longer, mm-hmm. adds to the quality of your life. Yeah. And I think that's what I was talking about. I was like, 
it's not so much you, you can die on the way home in a car crash mm -hmm. but the thing is the quality of your life that you have left you need to make sure it's good Absolutely. Kind of touch on that because I, I think um, now that I'm 41, mm -hmm. I find myself questioning mortality a lot more. It's scary. It's it's very scary. And I don't know if it's just because that's the age yeah. or I haven't gone through anything that's been so impactful in my life. But I think that the older you get, the less time you have, obviously. Right. Mm -hmm. But the thing is the quality of the time. So kind of touch yeah. on it. Um, one of the things that I've kind of gone through with this journey is focusing on the now. And that's been very powerful for me, is you enjoy today. Do as much as you can, Jennifer, today. Do as much as you can, enjoy it. Don't worry about the next appointments that you have. Don't worry about, just don't worry about what's to come. Focus on today. If you wanna go to the gym today, go to the gym. If you wanna, I don't know, go take the girls here, do it. Like do everything you can today, right now, because you don't know what. Yeah, you don't know what the future holds. Don't know what the future holds. And I feel like that, those words have stuck with me throughout this whole journey is, okay, like I know I have this coming up, but I'm not gonna worry about it. Like, you know, what, what do I have? What I have in the next couple months is reconstruction. That's the next part. I don't even want to think about it because I know that in itself is going to be that surgery of what, from what I've heard is, is big surgery. You know, the way they're going to do it. They've told me that that surgery is going to be longer. I, I want to say they said eight to 10 hours wow. longer, um, than my double mastectomy. So I'm thinking, okay, do I want to have that looming mm -hmm. every day in my head? No because why it's going to stress me out like just joy today i feel like a lot of people need to have a release and what workouts do for me is it mm -hmm. gives me that release can you kind of touch on that like I, I feel like the older you get the more coping mechanisms that you have to have in life and i found that that through through lifting weights and and mm -hmm. going out and walking so kind of touch that because I, I know that like for yoga, for especially for women is, yeah. is a release. Like they get to go and they yes. release that. So kind yes. of touch that. Yoga. So I've been going to uh, yoga for, and actually I've been consistent with yoga house for the last year, I believe, like as soon as they opened is, and it's crazy because they open and then a month later is when I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, the owner, Mahi, she has been amazing throughout this process. And all the instructors there have been super supportive. And one of the things when I go in there, it's like my time to just not have to think about anything, you know, and there's a yin class that just blows my mind every time because I leave that class feeling restored again. It's so crazy because I feel like you leave feeling alive. You like went in with so much, you were caring so much, there was so much on your mind and I leave and I'll call Elias right afterwards and I'm sure he's annoyed by it, <laughs> but I'm like, you don't understand what that class does for you. And it has helped me so much throughout chemo. And that was one of the things, you know, for people that are going through chemo, trying to stay active, um, one of the things um, that I didn't get to mention, but 
on my 15th round of chemo, uh, my mom went over to my house and she sat there with me. This is when I was taking the strong one. And um, so I usually had somebody there to just kind of monitor me. Um, She sat on the sofa and I knew like there was something weighing on her mind. She kept kind of like moving around and smiling at me. And I'm like, okay, this is odd, mom. And she finally said, I need to tell you something. And I said, okay, mom, what do you need? What's going on? She said, I have breast cancer. Jeez. And I thought, what? No way. Like, and then I thought, like, did you just have it years ago that I didn't even know? You know, like, certainly you don't have it right now. Like, we're not going through this at the same time. And she said, no um, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so I'm going to start chemo soon. Wow. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, like I'm right at the finish line to finish chemo. I have one more round and she's telling me she's about to start. So, and I remember just sitting there thinking, no, this isn't, this is not happening. My family doesn't speak about cancer nobody has cancer how is it that all of a sudden my mom and i at the same time are being diagnosed that's crazy that's crazy so yeah she's currently going through chemo in houston uh she prefers she says that because of her age my mom is i'm 38 she's 58 um she feels better being at MD Anderson and getting treated there. Um, So she's over there. They have a house in College Station, so it's not too far from Houston. Um, So what is is that conversation like then? Because now that you've gone through it, now your your mother is going through this, what can people expect? Like what what are those feelings? What are the, what what is the process of that? Oh man, Um, it was so scary. Because not only am I fighting for my life and trying to be strong for my daughter, trying to be strong for my family, you know, so that they can see me. I don't want anybody to see me just down. Now I have my mother who's looking at me. And in my mind, I was thinking, oh, my gosh, all the times that, like, she saw me crying, you know, and what I was feeling like, what was going on through her mind? Yeah. You know, like she was, I'm sure she knew what was going on weeks before. And so she was there to see me cry, to see me shave my head and what the emotions were that I was going through. And then my mom's having to like take it in and hold it till she's comfortable enough to tell me, oh my gosh, that's uh, a mother's burden. She'll carry it forever. A lot. One thing that she told me that night, that she told me that she had breast cancer, she said, Jennifer, you have to be strong. And I'm thinking, I don't want to cry. I was thinking, I've been trying. You know, I'm trying every day to be strong. She's like, you have to be strong for Gianna, which is my daughter. And, um, And I'm thinking, like, and I have to be strong for my mom now. You know, so... You're trying to be strong for everybody. That's a lot to carry. It's a lot for somebody to carry because 
you don't want them to see, I'm the type. And I don't know if it's like a selfish thing of me. I don't want people to see me weak. Like I want them to see me strong, but I can't help it. Like sometimes there's just times where like I have to just. The weight of the world is. Let a, it is, out. Is, yeah. It's just a very heavy thing. Um, so she's a, uh, my mom is good. She, uh, she's got two more rounds left, but she has, she was diagnosed with triple negative. So my cancer feeds off of estrogen. Hers was negative for, there's like three domains. And so hers was negative for all three, which they, so that means that they don't know what's specifically causing her cancer. She has Uh breast cancer, but they don't know what's specifically causing it. For me, they know what it is and they know what medicines to give me, you know, for that. Um, so she, it has taken a toll on her body, yeah. you know, um, and I'll try to tell her, mom, you need to stay active. I feel like that's so important. Like walk around even when you don't want to. And I'm sure there were times that I was tired, you know, and I didn't want to. And I'm like, no, like I need to do something. I can't just sit at home. You know, people are like, you can sit at home and relax. And I'm thinking, no, I think I, I even went back to work. Like I didn't stop working throughout chemo. I think you just you kept the the life that you had, like so you can keep yes. going forward. Yeah, I wanted to make sure that my life stayed consistent. It stayed normal as much as it could, considering the fact that my students too are seeing me like their teacher is wearing a head wrap. Like, what's going on? You know, there's changes everywhere. You know, every Monday. Miss Sanchez wouldn't be there, so I'd be at chemo. That's a, that's an interesting thing. What what was that dynamic between the kids and you? You, so I'm a kindergarten teacher, and for the most part, they didn't really ask questions, and I really wouldn't talk about it. Sometimes, like my student, my previous students, they're like Miss Sanchez, you're what happened to your hair? You know. And I said, oh, it's, and I would just tell them, you know, I'm taking some medicine and which was kind of one of those where I'm like, do I say that kids aren't going to want to take medicine? They're going <laughs> to think, oh my God, if I take medicine, we're going to lose our hair. <laughs> um, but I would just tell them, you know, yeah, Miss Sanchez doesn't have hair right now, but it's going to grow back. You know, it'll grow back in time. Um, and I feel like they were just still too, too young. little yeah. Yeah, to understand. Um, and Again, like I just kept it going. Like we're here to learn and that's what we're focusing on. We're not focusing on Miss Sanchez and her health. We're here to Life learn. as normal. Yeah. All right. So going back, um, I, I think the, what I want to get from you is like the, the tips that, that people are going to go through. Like what can they expect? How, how can they expect to feel, especially in a family setting? Because I think that's one of the most difficult things is like how do you, nobody prepares you for this yeah. at all. So kind of like touch on that, like how, how does one, when you are confronted with this, what is the way you look back now in retrospect, how do you think it should have been taken care of? Um, you know what? I would say like with my family, everybody was there. Like I had such a great, I have a great support system. And really it's just letting me know we're here if you need anything. Um, I felt personally that connecting with other breast cancer survivors and people that are going through it, you build like an instant connection to. So you have your family and your family's wonderful, but they don't know 
what you are going through. They don't know what you're experiencing. They don't know the thoughts that are going through your mind. And you speak to somebody else that is going through breast cancer, they know exactly what you're feeling. And it's almost kind of like, it's okay. You know, it's okay to feel this and you connect. There's an instant connection between them. And I've met so many ladies that I've had that connection with. And I have my girlfriends who are wonderful. And they'll, they'll say, we don't know. And I said, it's okay. Just yeah. be there. Like, just be there. You know, they'll call, just check in. How are you doing? Do you need anything? Um, there's been times that like, okay, I, I do need something. I need a ride. You know, and they're like, yes, like, we'll, we'll go. Anything, anything that you need. Just offering a hand, you know, when it's needed. You know, um, picking up my daughter, that was helpful. Sometimes that, like, we couldn't. Having people pick her up from school, take her to soccer, you know. Um, my family has been there. I, I, You know, it's hard because, again, They've never had to deal with this. Mm -hmm. So they were just as much, I think they get very emotional. It's an emotional thing, yeah. you know? So they see me and they're like, you're okay. And I say, yeah, I'm good. Like, let's barbecue. Let's do something. Let's do the stuff that we used to do. Let's just keep it up. So if you were to tell your family right now, like, like obviously, thank you and all mm -hmm. that stuff. What would you tell them? Um, that they're amazing. That they're amazing that everything that they've done, up until now has been everything that I could have asked for and more. You know, I don't need anything. I just need one of the things that I always tell everybody because they'll say, what, what can we help you with? What can we do? And I'll just tell them, just pray. That's it. I don't need people will try to offer you, you know, groceries, money, this and that. I'm like, I don't need anything. Pray for me. That's all I need. Like prayers. I feel like go a long way. Um, I'm one that believes in the power of prayer and, and that's it. I don't want anything from anybody else. Just support me, support this journey that I'm going through. Um, and my family has just been amazing. That's They're just awesome. awesome. <laughs> I, I, I don't have much to say, but they've been, because this has been, it's taken a toll on my family in the sense that now we also worry about my daughter. Her words, as soon as. It was one thing for me to find out that I had breast cancer, which was a shock. And then they find out that my mother has breast cancer. That's like a bigger shock. So their niece has breast cancer and then their sister has breast cancer, you know. And then now my daughter, when we told her, she said, so am I going to have breast cancer? That I'll never forget. She stood there in the living room and she was like, mom, so if you and grandma have breast cancer, does that mean that I'm going to have breast cancer too? The scariest part is that there's a possibility. You know, how do you tell your 10-year-old, maybe? Yeah. You know, so my response to her was, you know what, Gianna, with like trying to avoid that is now that grandma and I know that we have breast cancer, we know to start monitoring you a lot sooner instead of waiting you know, till, and, and it was hard because, well, usually you don't get mammograms till I think you're in your forties. So well, I never went for one, you know, I was 37. I yeah. didn't go for one at that time for Gianna. We're going to have to start monitoring her. I believe at 20. So at 20 years old, my little girl is going to start to get checked. 
for breast cancer. And what I told her is that now that we know that grandma and I do have it, we can start checking you a lot sooner to prevent, you know, and if let's say, God forbid that she were to have it, we catch it a lot sooner, Mm -hmm. you know, or she just may not, which would be great. You know, that'd be amazing if she did not have to go through this. Um, And with that being said, is the way I have, I guess, walked through this journey has a lot to do with how she's seen me go Mm -hmm. through this. You know, um, she's seen me have a regular life, even though I've had to go through chemo and not have hair. She, that little girl, has been so amazing you know, even even uh, Ella, uh, who's three, you would think that like a little girl would be questioning, where's your hair? And this never once asked, you know, it was just, that's Jen and that's it. Like yeah. there was never any, why do you look like that? And Gianna's always been um, very protective, I think even more so now. You know, people look at me, I said, it's okay. They're just not used to seeing somebody that didn't have hair, you know, and she's like, okay, mom. Um, uh, my, my little girl is Gianna. I feel that this will make her stronger is seeing her mom be able to fight something. And because I know that she's constantly watching me, I have to continue. You are the example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like to her and to my mom, because I want my mom to see that, no, 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 like don't, don't get caught up in just staying at home and hiding from everybody. Like make yourself useful, do something. You're a lot stronger than you think you are. And I feel like this goes for so many people that are going through chemo and cancer is that it's, it plays with your mind. It's, it's one of those where I feel like I have to talk to myself quite often which is like kind of nuts, but I am like, it's like you're coaching yourself through yeah. like, you're okay. You can do this. You want to go do that? Do it. You know, don't stay at home. Don't just sit there all day watching TV, get up, clean. Well, the power of belief is a very strong thing. Like the words that you think about, the words that come out of your mouth, yeah. they become true. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's also for the negative. Like they are so true. It it works. And I think people think that I'm crazy when I talk about that, but the words you say out loud become truth. Yeah. So with that, with those words that you just said, and I absolutely believe that because, and this is just me being super honest. I remember years ago saying, and it was a weird feeling. I always had a feeling I was going to have breast cancer. Wow. Yeah nuts again because we don't have that in our family so why would I think something like that and it was just a thought that I would have and I think I had even told Elias about it he's like you need to like stop and then lo and behold I was diagnosed with breast cancer so even more so now it's positive I am breast cancer free I am breast cancer free. literally have to watch the words that come out of your mouth oh my gosh they're so they're so dangerous Mm -hmm. it's crazy yeah well, Jen, I, of course, thank you very much for your time. Uh, yes. Thank you for sharing your journey. I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from this. And uh, so. the power of your words are very important to people. 
So. Thank you, Josh. I appreciate it. See y'all later. Bye. Awesome. That was super cool. Thank you. That was about an hour. Oh, wow. Didn't seem like it, right? No.